gonna go ahead and have this lovely woman come up on stage. I want you to know who I'm talking about when I introduce her this morning. <laughs> um, I just wanna give a huge thank you to you um, for the serving that you do for this church and your heartbeat behind um, just every individual here, all of us um, finding our spiritual gifts and just chasing after that. Um, you have a huge anointment that's been given to you to speak um, the Lord's word, and I'm just so appreciative of that. It's, um, it's really blessed me and my family, and I'm sure a lot of you too. So with great pleasure, I would love to introduce Heather Tace. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, here we are. Hi, church. How are you today? Everybody awake? Ready to go? Because I, one person, my husband, I can always, always count on him. I said to him this week, I was having a particular grumpy day, and I said, are you always, do you always have to be optimistic? <laughs> to which he replied, yes, I do. Um, let's just pray. I, I would like to just pray for a moment. God, we thank you that you are in this place. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who knows our names. That you are a God who ordained before the beginning of time who each one of us would be and what qualities and what gifts and what traits you would put inside each one of us be because you care. Yes, you care about us as a whole, but you care about us so much as individuals. And we thank you for that, God. And today, we just want to bring honor and glory to your name. We want to lift up the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. We thank you for being in this place. God, I pray today that as, as my words are spoken, God, that they would um, be your words that would flow out into this place and pierce these hearts of ours, mine included. That we would be able to go from here today having grown in our faith, having grown in what you've called us to do in this life, and thanking you for it. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right. So we are in week three of this series that we called ID, Identity. What is our true identity? Do we find it in by what others say of us, by what someone comments or posts on our social media site? Do we find it through our kids? Do we find our identity at our jobs? Maybe we determine our identity based on what the scale says. In this series, our hope and our prayer was that each one of us would recognize and discover that the only identity that really matters is our identity in Jesus. That's all that really matters. The fact that we are sons and daughters of a God who created everything gives us an ID that, listen, no man or woman can take away. We are adopted into God's family. That is our identity. This past week, some dear friends of ours finalized the adoption of their little boy, Tate, Tate is the third child that they have adopted. They have four other children, biological children. Uh, Grant, they adopted 18 years ago. 
as a six-month-old. I think you'll see his picture up behind me. Eliza was officially adopted one year ago. (laughs) And this past Tuesday, Tate's adoption was finalized. Here's the thing, though, about both Eliza and Tate. They were both abandoned as infants. Eliza was abandoned when she was about four months old, when she was left in a hospital by her birth parents, because most likely that's when they discovered that she had a defect. She has spina bifida. She was abandoned because she had a defect. She was abandoned because she was labeled imperfect. Some of you today feel that way. You feel like you've been abandoned, maybe by someone else, maybe by God, because you feel imperfect. You feel that you have a defect. And you feel like everyone has abandoned you. Tate, he was abandoned when he was just hours old, left. They had no identity to themselves until a stranger in an orphanage gave them a name and gave them a birth date. When Eliza and Tate came to the United States to join their new family, the Mushels, they came with a document of abandonment. They actually had a sheet of paper that had the word abandonment on it. That was their identity. Abandonment. But because of the love of an earthly father and mother, All of that changed. You see, one year ago, this past Friday, Eliza became Eliza Claire Mushell. And this past week, on Tuesday, Tate became Tate Owen Mushell. Abandonment was no longer their identity. They now have birth certificates to replace the documents of abandonment. Birth certificates with their name and their birth date and their parents' names on them. They have a new identity. Each one of us was just like Tate, was just like Eliza. Our sin had left us abandoned and alone, desperate and crushed by the weight of our own sin. And with that abandonment came no hope and no future. We were separated from God, abandoned and alone because of our sin. But our Heavenly Father had such different plans for us. We have a Father who rescues us. He frees us from our abandonment, and he changes our name. He calls us sons and daughters. Listen to this, Ephesians 1, 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This, I love this part. This is what he wanted to do. Our friends, the Mushels, that is what they wanted to do, to bring those children in, to change their identity, to give them a name. That is exactly what your Heavenly Father wanted to do for each one of you. And then it goes on to say, it gave him great pleasure. It gave him great pleasure. This is called salvation. 
This is where God says, I want to give you a new identity. I don't want you to live in abandonment, in loneliness. I don't want you to live under the weight and the pressure of your own sin any longer. I want to rescue you from that. I want to erase the document of abandonment and give you a new name as my son and as my daughter. And the only way that this happens is through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on a cross 2,000 years ago. He went to the cross for you. He went to the cross for me so that we can have a new identity. And it is so simple. We make it so complicated sometimes. Romans 10, 9 says, if you openly declare, use your mouth to declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe it in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will have a new identity. That's all it takes. There's no big checklist. There isn't a list of works that you have to perform. You simply have to do two things. You declare it with your mouth and you believe it in your heart and you get the new identity. Someone in here today knows all of this information. In fact, you could probably stand up here and give this information, but you have never made it your own decision. You've never said, I choose to make that decision today. If you wanna make that decision, go for it. Do it right now in your seat. You have to declare it, and you have to believe it in your heart. And if you do that today, come find me afterwards, because I would love to pray for you. I would love to get you a Bible. And maybe you want to come up and talk to me, and that is totally okay. But I know you know someone who loves Jesus. You go find them, and you tell them. Because this identity, this life, isn't meant to be walked alone. It is meant to be walked alongside of people. And we want to celebrate you. We want to help you in your new identity. So Chris mentioned last week that I was teaching on spiritual gifts this week, and I am, but everything begins with salvation. So we had to start there. Because without salvation, none of the rest of my notes matter. Last week, Chris brought us such a powerful reminder of the beginnings of the church, not this church, but the church, the Big C Church. And he talked to us about what the church's identity and purpose is and always has been. Isn't it amazing that the church that was began so many years ago, thousands of years ago, the purpose has never changed? Isn't that incredible? I just love that so much. Um, we looked at the church's identity as a whole, the broad picture. He said, we are not called to be in a holding pattern but we are called to be continually moving, continually stepping forward together. And we carry on, we carry on the movement of all movements that Jesus began 2,000 years ago and that God had planned a long time before that. So today we're going to look at our own personal, individual identity in the church. All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or you can pull it up on your iPhone. We're going to be parked in this passage for most of the day today. So um, if you just want to turn there, you'll be right there and we'll be ready to go. We're going to start reading in verse 27, and then I'm going to skip back and go back to verse 12. Verse 27, all of you together, all of us together, are Christ's body. The Bible refers to the church as a body a lot. So if if I'm today, if I'm talking about the body, I'm, talk, I'm talking about all the people together, okay, the church. And each of you 
is a part of it. All right, going back over to verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. Okay, we all know this. We all had science in school. We have one body with many parts. So it is with the body of Christ. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? And if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, and I believe that this is for someone in here today, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and seem less important are actually the most important. Somebody in here needs to hear that today because you feel like you are the least important person in this room. You think that you have no part of this body, but God says you actually have the most important role to play. Do you hear me, church? God has a plan for you, and you might feel insecure, and you might feel like you are worth nothing, but your part is so important. So we are one body. That's called unity. We are united by one thing. We are united by our salvation. We are all the same in our salvation. Check this. I think this is so awesome. We came to faith. We came to this body the same way. The only way you can come and be a part of this body is through what? Salvation, right? So we all came the same way through our salvation. But our individuality, the parts of the body are discovered when you enter a church body. When you come into a church body, your individuality should be brought out. You should stand out as a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear. Your individuality inside of this church should stand out. Our gifts make us individual. Just as a human body has many different parts and those parts have different functions, it is the same with the church. This is where spiritual gifts come in. When you live for Jesus and you narrow down who you are, this is where your individuality in the body comes out. So you're saying, what are spiritual gifts? Well, here are a couple of definitions. The first one is this. A spiritual gift is a supernatural ability given to all Christians to do God's work all over the earth. Or this one. They're the, the abilities by which we receive the grace of God and disperse that grace to others. And then the Bible says this about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. A spiritual gift is given to each one of us 
so that we can help each other. If you have your Bibles open, I want you to underline that. A spiritual gift is not intended for your glory. A spiritual gift is intended so that we can help one another. So who gets these spiritual gifts? Is it just a special few amount of people? A friend asked me this this week. She said, so do you believe every Christian has a spiritual gift? The answer to that is yes, absolutely. Probably more than one gift even. Every follower of Jesus has spiritual gifts. How do I know that? Well, I believe that the word of God is completely true, 100% accurate. And in 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11, it answers that question. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sin. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Here's the answer to that question. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Couldn't be more clear than that, right? God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Now, I have two thoughts about this passage. Number one, love is always the most important thing. Peter says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. Sometimes we miss the love part. We get caught up in the negativity part. We get caught up in the critiquing part. We get caught up in the judging part. And none of those are our jobs. Love for Jesus and love for others. That is the most important thing. Number two in that passage, it's really very simple. If you believe in Jesus and you have chosen, you've made the decision to follow him, then you have been given spiritual gifts. No one is left out. Everyone makes the team. So how do we get these gifts? And who gifts them to us? Well, it's not like you can go to Target and um, buy them off the shelf, although that would be fantastic. Like, oh, yay, it's on my cartwheel app today. I think I'm going to go buy some wisdom. <laughs> First Corinthians 12, 11 answers this question for us. It is the one and only spirit that distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are three, but they are one. Do you see a pattern here? The church, we are many, but we are one. The Holy Spirit decides, it's up to him, which gifts each one of us should have. He knows you. He knows which gifts fit who you are. This is not happen chance. He gives you gifts that fit who God created you to be. And then Paul, as he's writing this passage in 1 Corinthians, and he is writing this to a church, very similar to us, a group of people that meet together, that love each other, that care for the needs of one another. And this is what he says to them. Let love be your highest goal. There's that love thing again. But you should also desire 
the special abilities or gifts the Spirit gives. One translation says, eagerly desire the gifts the Spirit gives. What are the things that you eagerly desire? Do you eagerly desire um, a movie that might be coming out? You can't wait to go see that movie or um, a vacation that's coming up or hanging out with your friends or a date night with your spouse. What are the things that you really look forward to that you're, you're really anticipating? Paul is saying we should eagerly desire to have and use these gifts. The problem is that studies show us that 87% of people who claim to follow Jesus cannot identify their gifts. That is almost nine out of 10 of you. And most people don't know anything about spiritual gifts. So we've been given these gifts and most of us leave them unopened. Can you imagine Christmas morning? Okay, you wake up and there is the biggest, most beautiful wrapped present you have ever seen underneath the tree. And it has your name on it. But you never open it. It sits there for days. The tree gets put away and still the present sits there. You forget about it but it's still there. Months go by, years go by. The giver who gave you that gift is hurt and sad and disappointed because you obviously don't care enough about him to open the present, even if you just see what's inside. Finally, one day, you open it. You discover what's inside of this gift, but you don't use it. You actually wish it was something else. I wish you would have given me something else than what is in this gift. And you aren't even sure how to use it, so you let it sit unused in the box. Here's the thing, though. That gift in that box, the giver knows, will bring you so much joy as you use it for other people. Yes, it will impact others, but it will also change your life in such a massive way. The giver knows exactly which gift you need because he chose it just for you. So it is time to open the box. It is time to find out what the gift is and to begin using it. Some of you are living vicariously through someone else's gift. Did you hear me? Some of you are living in the light of someone else's gift instead of using your own gift. We're going to look at what spiritual gifts are more in just a minute in some depth, depth. But first, I want to talk to you about a few things that spiritual gifts are not. Okay, number one, spiritual gifts are not your natural talents. You might be good with numbers. You might be um, artistic or athletic or musical. These are your natural talents, and these are also God-given. But they are different from your spiritual gift. 
In many cases, your natural talent and your spiritual gift go hand in hand because we have a creator who is very detail-oriented and he loves to put things together in order. So those often go hand in hand. But your spiritual gift is different from your natural talent. Number two, spiritual gifts are also not just given to an elite few. You might think, well, so-and-so has spiritual gifts, but I don't. Let me remind you of 1 Corinthians 12, 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. Each of us. That's pretty clear. Every person who follows Jesus has been given gifts. This does not mean that every person is actively using them. Number three, Spiritual gifts are not a sign of spiritual maturity. You don't get your gift when you have reached a certain point in your walk with Jesus. You don't get your gift when you've been a Christian for five years or 10 years or 15 years. It's not like vacation time that builds up. Just because you've only known Jesus for a short time doesn't mean you don't have one or more of these gifts. Many, even probably many that are in here today who've known Jesus for years aren't actively using their gifts. Their gift is still sitting, wrapped where the tree used to be, waiting to be used. Sometimes brand new believers are the best at identifying what their gifts are because they're excited and they want to find out more about this life with Jesus. And sometimes those of us who have been followers of Jesus for a long time, we become complacent and stagnant in using our gifts because we've forgotten the joy of our salvation. We've forgotten that we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. Number four, spiritual gifts are not something to fear. I get it. You hear spiritual gift, and you instantly think of the creepy Christian that comes and wants to lay hands on you and prophesy over you, right? We all know some of those people. Remember, though, these are supernatural gifts. In our natural human minds, these gifts don't make sense. Only through the power of Jesus, which is inside of us and is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave, from the dead, are we able to see these supernatural gifts at work in our lives. So what are these gifts? Well, when you came in today, you were handed a handout, and this is a list of the spiritual gifts that the Bible lists, and we're going to go over those very briefly. Um, I want you to know that this is not uh, a complete definition on every gift. This is just all we could fit on one sentence, one line. Okay, this is just a very, very scratch-the-surface overview to help you get started. So there are two main areas of Scripture that list the spiritual gifts. The first one is found in Romans chapter 12. Verses 6 through 8. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. I want to stop right there for just a moment. If you're trying to do something that is not a gift that God has given you, stop doing it. Let the person who is gifted in that area do it. And you go figure out what your gift is. Because I guarantee you, 
that if you're trying to force something, you are not doing it well. And someone else can do it a whole lot better than you can. The church gets bogged down by people who try to make their gift into something that God has not given them. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift of showing kindness or mercy to others, do it gladly. Do it gladly. So here's the first list that the Bible gives us. Prophecy is the first, one of the first gifts that we hear about. Prophecy, the gift of prophecy, is the ability to hear divine messages from God and to share them with others. Is this happening today? Absolutely. Does God speak to people today? Yes, he does. Does he speak to people with the gift of prophecy and give them divinely appointed messages to share with the body of Christ? Yes, he does. When those messages are given, though, it has to be tested against the word of God. If a message is given to you and someone has prophesied over you and you're like, man, I don't think that that's anywhere in the Bible. Like, that doesn't sound biblically based to me. It is not of God. It is either of Satan or it is of flesh. Then there's the gift of serving. Maybe you find joy in helping other people. There are people who come every single Sunday morning just to serve, not because they have to, just to come and set up chairs and set up lights and get security ready. They have the biggest servant's hearts I have ever seen, and they find so much joy in serving others. So if you're good at seeing needs that are around you and filling those needs, you might have the gift of serving. The next gift is teaching. Maybe you have the gift of clearly communicating God's word and you are a steward of God's word. That's a spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit gives. You might be an encourager. Some translations say exhorter. You are so good at encouraging people and reminding people of the power of God's word, of taking scripture and encouraging them by your words. After talking with you, people just have more hope. They feel like they can go on because you have just encouraged them. There are a couple people in my life that are my encouragers, and everyone needs encouragers in their life. When you're having a down day, and you can pick up the phone and you can call that person, and you know without a shadow of a doubt they are going to encourage you and lift you up, that is a spiritual gift. Giving. Maybe you are generous. Maybe you are generous with your time or generous with your talents or generous with your money or your food or whatever it might be. If, you, if, if you're one of those people where you, you see like there's, there's a chance to give over here and you're like, oh yeah, I'll give to this or hey, this, this ministry's asked, yeah, I'll give here or this person's car broke down. Oh, hey, I'll help pay for that. Maybe you have the gift of giving. I think it is awesome that God gave some people the gift of giving. Not everyone has that gift. Some people are like, oh no, I'm not giving anything at all, except if I absolutely have to and you force my fingers open. Some people aren't givers and that's okay. 
But some people, that brings them joy to give and to fill the needs of others. Givers are also often very hospitable. Maybe you have the gift of leadership. People seem to follow your lead. You protect and bring in and care for others. Leaders should be people-oriented, not task-oriented. If you're following a leader who only cares about tasks, he or she is not a leader. Leaders care about people more than they care about tasks. And then the next one, mercy or kindness. If you have the gift of mercy, you're patient and you're compassionate towards other people who are suffering. I do not possess this gift. <laughs> like, not even a tiny bit. My husband wishes that I did. But he's so merciful, and if I was merciful, there'd be like way too much mercy going on, okay? So maybe you're somebody that, if someone's crying, you're just like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. Could I sit here and cry with you? I mean, I, don't come to me, because I would be like, stop crying. It's okay. Let's get the Bible out and find out what God word, like, buck it up. Listen, some people have it, some people don't. The second list is found in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 8. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still, another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. This is the second list. Wisdom. Some people have a unique understanding of God's word, and they can speak life and guidance to other people. People with the gift of wisdom also have a deep understanding of God's holiness and their lack of holiness. The gift of knowledge. This is very closely tied with wisdom. The people with the gift of knowledge also have a very good understanding of God's word, and they can impart God's word, God's wisdom or knowledge to other people to help them make wise decisions. You all know who I'm talking about. The people you go to because you know they're going to have some sort of knowledge, be it worldly knowledge or biblical knowledge, to help you make the right choice, the best decision. Faith. Faith is a spiritual gift. Faith. Maybe you have bold confidence that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do, and you never doubt that. You take his word at face value. You have certainty in your beliefs. Even when you cannot see the end result, you believe that God will come through for you. Your faith makes other people's faith stronger. This actually happens to be one of my gifts. You know, something happens, a car breaks down, or, you know, kid is sick, and I'm like, it's okay, we're going to pray. Like, God is faithful, he's going to take care of us. You have certainty in what God's word says. Healing. 
Healing is a spiritual gift that God gives some people. It involves a special extra measure of faith. You also, if you have the gift of healing, you have a deep compassion for people who are sick. Maybe you find yourselves wanting to go to the hospital and pray for people. Or when you hear that someone isn't feeling well, you call them up and you say, we're going to pray for healing. We're going to pray right now that God is going to heal you. We know that it is by his stripes on the cross that we are healed. He is our healer. We're going to pray and you're going to be healed. Does that happen today? Yes, it does. Have people in our very own church been healed when they've been prayed over? Yes. Do I believe that the people that have prayed over them have the gift of healing? Absolutely, I do. The next one, miracles. If you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about Elisha where he asked for a double portion of the power to perform miracles. He had seen this happen with Elijah. He had the gift of miracles, and he wanted a double portion. He was eagerly wanting and desiring to use his gift. This is still an active gift today. Is God still performing miracles today? Yes, he is. Sometimes we don't see them as much in our world because we don't have a dependency on God as much as some people do, and we need to get that dependency back. The gift of discernment, we're almost done. Discernment is when you can clearly recognize when something is of God or when something is not of God. When someone is talking to you and you can just tell that they're blowing smoke, you can just tell that it's just false. You have the gift of discernment. You can also discern whether something is of God, whether it's from Satan, or whether it's from human origin. There are other gifts that we're just going to go through real quick. The gift of administration. Maybe you're goal-oriented, task-oriented, detail-oriented. You like spreadsheets. You're kind of nerdy. You have the gift of administration, and that is awesome. We desperately need people that have the gift of administration. Maybe you like to plant churches or new ministries, you raise up leaders, or you feel a call to the mission field out in in other countries. Maybe you want to raise up leaders and influence others to ministry. Then you have the gift of apostleship. Evangelism. This is something every single one of us as followers of Jesus, we are called to evangelize. No one gets off the hook for that one. But God gives some people an extra dose of this. They have the ability to evangelize and share the gospel clearly and and concisely, and it's so easy for them. Like, they're never scared to do it. You know, the rest of us are like, I don't know what I would say. (laughs) And, you know, they're going to the mall, like, handing out cards and tracts and telling people about Jesus everywhere they go. So they have the gift of evangelism. Then there's the gift of tongues. This is where God gives some people a special gift of speaking in tongues, speaking in different languages. It is usually during times of prayer, and it's communicating to God in a language that is unknown to the person speaking it. That is a special gift that people receive. Does every believer have that gift? No. Just like every believer doesn't have the gift of prophecy. Then there's also the interpretation of tongues. This is the ability to understand and explain a message that is spoken in tongues in order to do two things. One, bring glory to God, and two, encourage the church. If it is anything outside of those two things, then it is not from God. The last one on our list is pastor or shepherd. A lot of translations say shepherd. 
And the reason I like that is because a shepherd or a pastor is in charge of the spiritual well-being of the church. A pastor guides and nourishes, much like a real shepherd does with his sheep. A pastor is also very closely tied with the gift of serving. A pastor must be servant-minded first as he's caring for the people around him. So how do you know what gift you have? Well, number one, I'm going to give you some things real quick so that you can begin to figure this out. Study the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about spiritual gifts? You'll see on the screen behind me, there are four main places that the Bible talks about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 1. Open up your Bible. Number two, ask God to show you. And ask him where and when and how he wants you to use your gifts. Spiritual gifts are to be used, listen carefully, first to encourage the body of believers. First to encourage each other. And then they spill out to the rest of the world. To the rest of the world around us. Our gifts are to be used inside the church and outside of the church. Remembering that the church is not just this gathering on Sunday mornings inside of these four walls. The church, our people, is the body of Christ. So while it is crucial for this church to survive and for you to use your spiritual gifts inside the church, it is just or more important for you to use your spiritual gift Monday through Saturday, where most of your life takes place. Number three, examine what you enjoy to do and what you do well. That probably will give you a pretty good idea of what your spiritual gift might be. Number four, take a spiritual gifts test. You can Google it. There's lots of different tests. There's one in version. This is not foolproof, but this might give you a little jump start. There's also a link on our Instagram bio right now that you can go on and take a test to help you there. This just might be a way to help you begin unwrapping the present. Number five, do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. If you're feeling that there's the same thing that keeps coming up, that the Holy Spirit keeps prompting you to do something, maybe it's to have people over to your home for dinner, or maybe it's to call up a friend and encourage them. Maybe it's to pray for someone who's sick. That's probably the Holy Spirit leading you to use your gift, which he gave you. Last week, Chris showed us this pile of bricks. And I actually didn't know that I was going to use this in my message today, but I just came up on stage because I was like, oh, that's cool. And I took these pictures from the backside, looking out at all of you of the, the church. And one brick is missing. When bricks are missing, the structure isn't as strong as it could be. When you aren't using your gift, the church is vulnerable. The church is vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy because where your gift fits, there's a hole. When you are using your gifts, the church is more susceptible to falling apart because others are trying to fill the hole that you're supposed to be filling and they get burnt out and overburdened and worn down because they're trying to carry what you're supposed to be carrying. 
everybody has a part to play and everybody's part looks different. And we all fit together to form this beautiful body that God intended. So don't insult the giver by leaving your gift unwrapped, wrapped and unused. 1 Peter 4, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Would you pray with me? God, you are so faithful and you are so good. to give us a gift that not only serves each other, but that fills us up, that makes us a better version of who we are. And God, right now I pray that today would be a turning point for someone in this room. Maybe they're just going along, living their life, yes, following you, but not fully using what you've put inside of them. I pray that this would be a moment when they would begin to eagerly desire and search out and unwrap that gift and not leave it sitting, but begin using it. Maybe it's just a small, tiny step, but they begin using it for your church, for your people, and for the rest of the world because our world desperately needs for us, church, to use our gifts. Our world desperately needs encouragers. Our world desperately needs healing. Our world desperately needs faith to give them faith. And who's going to do it if nine out of ten of us aren't even using our gifts? God, empower us. Thank you for giving us these gifts. Thank you for being here with us in this place today. And may we leave here today challenged to be who you are have called us to be in the precious, mighty name of Jesus. Amen.